Are you a Dragon Boat athlete? Have you ever thought about joining a team? Hornet Water Sports makes high-performance, lightweight, carbon-fiber Dragon Boat paddles. You can choose from one of their many graphic designs. Don't settle for just a boring black paddle. I love their design so much that I have four different paddles. They also have all of the Dragon Boat accessories that you need, paddle bags, tip covers, tape, and more. Visit their website at hornetwatersports.com and enter the code PINK at checkout to receive 10% off of your order. That's hornetwatersports.com and enter the code PINK. Strokeside Designs is a New York-based fine jewelry company focused on water sports. This is the best jewelry I have found through many years of searching. I love my Dragon Boat Paddle Heart earrings and my pendant. The jewelers at Strokeside Designs have worked for famous jewelry houses such as Tiffany & Company and Cartier. All of the pieces are hand-finished from fine materials. Express your passion for kayaking, canoeing, and dragon boating. Visit PaddleJewelry.com and get free shipping with the code PINK. That is PaddleJewelry.com and enter the code PINK. Lisa Schleiger, Vice President of Community Affairs and Public Policy at FORCE, joined us on the podcast today. FORCE, which stands for Facing Our Risk of Cancer Empowered, is a nonprofit organization dedicated to improving the lives of those affected by hereditary breast, ovarian, and related cancers. FORCE believes that no one should face hereditary cancer alone. Take a listen in. Welcome to Behind the Pink Ribbon, where we share stories, information, and other content related to breast cancer. My name is Melissa Adams. I am a 12-year genetic breast cancer survivor. I've learned so much through my own journey with breast cancer. I have met some amazing people along the way, many that have become lifelong friends. I have experienced the emotional roller coaster of a breast cancer diagnosis, heartache, anger, frustration, loneliness, and even gratitude. Through this podcast, we will speak to breast cancer survivors, supporters, and healthcare professionals to gain insight and understanding behind the pink ribbon. I'm here today with Lisa Schlager. She is the Vice President of Community Affairs and Public Policy for FORCE, which stands for Facing Our Risk of Cancer Empowered. So thank you so much for being a part of the podcast, Lisa. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Of course. So let's just really dive in and talk about FORCE and um, give me a little bit of a background of the organization, how it got started, when it got started, why it got started. Sure. So uh, FORCE is actually going into our 21st year. Uh, we were established in 1999. Our founder is Sue Friedman, and she established the organization uh, because she was diagnosed with breast cancer as, as a younger woman in her early 30s as, and discovered that she carries a, a BRCA or BRCA mutation, which is an inherited mutation. And um, this was really in a time where testing for for BRCA mutations was pretty new. Um, she went to a breast cancer support group and felt that um, she just didn't connect with a lot of the people there. Many of the women were older um, and they didn't have the same concerns that she did as an individual who, um, who carried one of these mutations uh, because there's a lot more that goes along with, with a BRCA mutation than just breast cancer. So um, she established force uh, as sort of an online support organization at the time to provide information and support to other women like her. Um, since that time, we obviously have grown tremendously. We, we now have um, 
I think, 13 or 14 full-time staff. And um, we are definitely not based in Florida, any just based in Florida anymore, which is where um, our headquarters is. But we are a national organization with international uh, affiliates and um, really serve the broader hereditary cancer community um, beyond people with BRCA mutations, but with other types of hereditary cancer syndromes as well. That's awesome. I mean, first of all, I didn't realize that it was 21 years that this has been around. Um, when I was diagnosed in 2007, I was introduced to FORCE, um, you know, just kind of as a support and, um, you know, have known about it for a long time, but didn't realize that it was, you know, that it's 21 years old and that this really kind of came about when the genetic mutation testing was, I mean, it was still so new. Um, That's right. You know, so good for Sue for being kind of a, you know, a driving force in recognizing that, uh, wait, you know, we've got this kind of subpopulation um, that needs a little bit different of support. Because when you were talking about her going to a support group and not connecting, um, one, age as a factor, um, and two is just the fact that BRCA, you know, or any genetic um, or hereditary cancer just adds a different spin on it. Um, I felt those same things. Exactly. Um, yeah, so I can that's exactly that. right. So just, I guess, to share with um, the listeners. So hereditary cancer uh, is, you know, BRCA mutations are best known for increasing the risk of breast and ovarian cancer. So for instance, if a, a woman is diagnosed with breast cancer, that doesn't mean that she doesn't also have that high risk of ovarian cancer. So uh, a lot of members of our community are facing risk of multiple cancers, breast, ovarian, prostate, potentially pancreatic, uh, you know, pancreatic, um, colon, and um, they are at risk of, you know, multiple cancers. And so that's one of the differences between somebody who's affected by hereditary cancer and someone who has what we consider sporadic cancer or, or cancer that's not hereditary. You have that risk of multiple cancers. There's a lot of pressure, especially on young women who are affected by hereditary cancers because we don't have early detection for ovarian cancer, and they're they're pushed to remove their ovaries um, as soon as they're done having children, or sometimes even earlier, and um, you know that that can be devastating for a young woman um, to end her ability to have a family, um, and obviously it has implications, you know plunging her into surgical menopause. So there's a whole host of other issues, um, including passing the mutation on to other family members, to your, you know, to your children, uh, the risk of other family members having the mutation. Um, there's just a lot that goes along with it. So that was really what Sue was facing, uh, Sue Friedman, when she founded the organization. And we've kept those, that core mission, um, you know, dating back to the late 90s, of serving the community and addressing the unique needs of people who are affected by hereditary cancers, um, because there really are some differences. Um, and of course, everyone's unique, but um, there is a, there are some common threads, uh, especially in the hereditary cancer community. Right. Well, I think one of the biggest misconceptions that I know of is that when people think of, um, well, first of all, when people think about you know, hereditary cancers, they immediately think about BRCA1, BRCA2, 
you know, if they right. know about it, um, without acknowledging the fact that there are many other genetic mutations that are in existence. Um, and in my opinion, there are probably a lot more that just haven't been found yet. Um, so there's that's one thing. The other thing, too, is that there is a misconception that BRCA mutations only impact breast and ovarian. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people think that. Um, one of the things, I, you know, I had researched a lot because I do have a BRCA2 mutation that comes from the paternal side of my family. And the family has been riddled with a variety of cancers. You know, it's not just been breast cancer. I had an aunt that had colon cancer. Um, you know, my uncle has prostate cancer. I had, um, you know, somebody that has had brain cancer and pancreatic. So it's, it's a number of different things, but we automatically associate, um, those, you know, the hereditary cancers to just the BRCA1, BRCA2, and only to breast and ovaries. That's right. And I think it's important. So yes, the risk of breast cancer is highest in women with uh, a BRCA1 or BRCA2 mutation. Um, and the ovarian cancer risk um, is, is a little lower, but still pretty high. And so that's what these mutations are best known for. But it's so important for people to understand that it's not just breast and ovarian cancer. So breast, ovarian, prostate, pancreatic, and even melanoma yes. are very common with BRCA mutations. And so when you look at your family history, you shouldn't just be looking for breast or ovarian cancer to decide if maybe you should talk to a genetic counselor or if the the cancers in your family are hereditary. In fact, any family with multiple cancers, early onset cancers, especially before the age of 50, or um, if you have an Ashkenazi Jewish background, uh, age 60 or younger, any woman, any family with ovarian cancer, these are red flags. And um, we're learning so much more about these mutations and, and recognizing that it isn't just breast and ovarian. And in fact, some mutations are um, have other types of cancers, such as colon cancer. Um, there's a handful of mutations associated with something called Lynch syndrome. And Lynch syndrome is actually slightly more common than BRCA mutations. A lot of people don't realize that. And um, and if you have one of those mutations, the highest risk is going to be colon cancer. Um, so we try to uh, encourage people to really look at their personal health history and dig back into their family health history out three generations if possible and to really look at all the different types of cancers, um, even suspected types because people didn't keep good records uh, in our grandparents' era or even in our parents' uh, generation sometimes. Um, And if it looks like there are multiple cases of cancer in a family, then it's worth considering talking to a genetic counselor or genetics expert just to determine if, if testing is warranted if it makes sense. Um, I think some people are fearful of, you know, exploring that because they're worried the information could be used against them. Um, And the truth is we have laws that protect people from discrimination. And in fact, it's illegal um, to discriminate uh, in in regard to health insurance or uh, employment based on your genetic status. So, 
Um, And I'm glad that you make that a point because, um, well, there were a number of things that you said that I want to piggyback off of, but I'm glad that you make that a point because I think that there are a number of people out there who are afraid of what that might potentially mean for their employment, for their health insurance. I mean, there's, so I was diagnosed at a time when those laws were not in place. They were just kind of coming mm-hmm. about. And it was terrifying to think that, you know, my life choices might be decided on um, simply by the fact that I have a genetic cancer, um, genetic mutation that somebody may not cover at some point in time. So thank goodness for those, you know, the laws that did come into place. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I think that people are still really nervous and scared about that. Well, there's a lot of concern about the Affordable Care Act and whether you um, are in favor of it or not. There are certainly some very good things that it did uh, as far as the cancer community and ensuring that nobody can be denied health insurance is crucial. Uh, It also put caps on your out-of-pocket spending and a number of other very positive things for people who have uh, something like cancer or other chronic diseases. But um, even if ACA or the Affordable Care Act does go away, which we don't think that it will completely, but if it did, there are other laws in place that do protect you against discrimination. And so um, if you have a genetic mutation, but you have not had cancer, that can't be used against you. Of course, if you're diagnosed with cancer under the Affordable Care Act, you still can't be denied. But if for some reason the Affordable Care Act were were to go away, um, there would be a difference between people who just have a genetic predisposition versus people who already are diagnosed with cancer or another disease. Um, it's, It's called manifest disease. And I know that seems complicated, but I think it's really important for people to understand that having a mutation cannot be used against you. The one area where there is no protection is uh, life insurance, disability, and long-term care insurance. Now, some states have stronger laws and stronger protections that do limit the insurer's ability to discriminate. But for the most part, um, a life insurance company, for instance, can raise their premium or deny you insurance for pretty much any reason, even, you know, high blood pressure or high cholesterol or, um, you know, a history of mental illness that that is at their discretion. And that's frustrating. uh, But most people are able to get a policy regardless. So it shouldn't be a deterrent. yeah, For I will tell you, you that um, I happened to get a pretty significant or substantial life insurance policy three months before I was diagnosed. Wow. <laughs> and I have not let go of that insurance policy. Good for you. Um, absolutely. And that is something, if somebody's concerned, we say, you know what, go get your life insurance lined up now. Yes. That way, if for some reason, you know, you do come back positive, they can't use it against you um, to raise your premium or to de- deny you. And that's something that a good genetic counselor would also share with somebody who's considering. That's part of the purpose of genetic counseling is to explain the laws, the the, the pros and the cons um, to genetic testing. So it sounds like you learned about your mutation after diagnosis. Is that correct? Um, I mean, it kind of happened right, like it was all happening at the same time. So yeah. when I was diagnosed, um, 
you know, I went in and I, pretty much I was told that it wasn't possible to have a, a cancer diagnosis because my mom didn't have cancer. I, the doctor mm-hmm. forgot that I also had a father. I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it was really through the consultation that, so I don't know, I don't know much about the paternal side of my family. I don't have a relationship with that man. Um, mm-hmm. And so my mom had the background information. She knew of all the people that had cancer. And so when I was, after I was diagnosed and saw my breast surgeon, they immediately sent me for genetic testing. And that's when I found out. So it, it I mean, it was after the diagnosis, but it was very soon after. Yes. So um, probably based on either because they didn't know enough about your family history or because of your age and other factors about your diagnosis, they felt that it made sense for you. And I think that's so important because some people say, well, I already have cancer. Why do I need to bother getting genetic testing? Because I already got cancer. It's not going to help me. But the truth is it really does help because it informs you of your risk of other cancers. It can inform uh, other blood relatives about their risk. Um, But also we have fabulous new um, cancer therapies called targeted therapies that uh, specifically are for people with mutations. So if you know that you have a, a BRCA1 or BRCA2 mutation, for instance, you are uniquely qualified for a certain type of treatment that is shown to be very effective in people with these mutations. So you might actually stand a much better chance of having a therapy that um, works well if you have that testing and if you can get, um, you know, certain treatments that are better suited for you. That's the promise of personalized and precision medicine. And we're really in an exciting era for that. Um, So it's not just about prevention, but it's also about treatment. Right. Well, and so there are are two things that I want to talk about that you had mentioned a little bit earlier. One is, um, you know, when I was tested, I was only tested for the BRCA1, BRCA2. You know, And that was back in 2007. But we've progressed so much in terms of identifying other mutations. So, you know, PALB2 and um, I think there's a CHECK2 or is it PALB3? That's right. Yeah. So there are a number of other mutations that, you know, there's a certain population of people that have been tested that, you know, they probably were only tested for the BRCA1, BRCA2. So what are your thoughts about like those people, you know, I know that I'm positive, positive for BRCA too, you know, would there be any need for me to go back and do a full panel? So it's very rare for somebody to carry more than one uh, mutation that causes increased risk of cancer. And the truth is a, a BRCA mutation is pretty much um, the most significant, one of the most significant mutations you could have. So even if you did have another mutation, you wouldn't do anything differently, most likely. But for people who have had testing in the past, and they tested negative for any known mutations, um, negative for a BRCA mutation, especially if they were tested before, say, 2015, um, we do strongly recommend that they go back and consider additional testing now because prior to about 2014, we were only testing for BRCA1 and BRCA2 mutations. Uh, that's, that's two out of many dozens of potential mutations that we now know about. Um, so as you mentioned, PALB2, CHECK2, ATM, um, uh, RAD51, uh, there's there's numerous uh, ATM, I think I mentioned, but there's numerous mutations now that 
could be responsible for that cancer in your family or the cancer that you experienced. And if you tested negative for BRCA, now they may be able to go back and say, oh, but now we can explain it because you now have tested positive for X. And that's so informative because it'll tell you about your risk for any other cancers. And of course, it can help your family members know what they may be at risk for. Um, So we definitely recommend that people go back and consider testing again with a broader, uh, it's called a multi-gene panel for, um, for these other mutations, especially a genetic counselor can look at the family history and see all the different types of cancers and then, you know, recommend the appropriate uh, mutations to be tested for. But frequently people are tested for anywhere from 20 something to up to 40 mutations now. Um, It's, yeah, and it's, it's so informative. Um, We're still learning about some of these newer mutations. So that can be a little bit disconcerting, but in our mind, it's better to know than not know. And of course, once you're identified, um, it helps research and it helps us learn more about the families that do carry these mutations. So that's really helpful. Well, and I'm thinking too, you know, so for me, I had a reason right? Like, you know, cancer showed up in my life just as it does for so many out of the blue. You know, I, it wasn't on my radar. I hadn't even known that my grandmother died from ovarian cancer until just a few years before I was diagnosed. I didn't know that I had a great grandmother that had um, breast cancer. You know, again, I didn't have that full family history, but it made sense. You know, I, It came up and I had a reason. I had a genetic mutation that obviously, you know, resulted in in my having cancer. I would think, and I certainly don't want to speak for anybody, but I would think that people that don't have that verified genetic mutation must at some point go through a process of what did I do or what didn't I do? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and to be able to have, you know, I didn't have that experience. I wasn't thinking about, you know, oh, what did I do that triggered this? What didn't I do? You know, it just obviously that mutation just decided that it was going to play. Um, You know, so I, I would think that having that information might just be a little bit more helpful for people to understand that, you know, you didn't do anything. You didn't That's do anything exactly wrong. Right. Yeah. It, was it wasn't something. the diet or the right. lack of exercise. I mean, obviously living a healthy lifestyle, keeping yourself at a healthy weight, eating healthy, not drinking too much alcohol. Those are all good things. Yes. Um, but the reality is if you carry one of these mutations, unfortunately, you're just, you're at a disadvantage to start. And I always, uh, you know, it's so important that you look at genetics and, and family history on both sides, mom and dad. Yes. Um, I Thank you. To explain it. <laughs> yeah, so we all inherit a copy of each of these um, genes from both parents. So everybody has BRCA genes. Everybody is supposed to have two copies of BRCA1 and two copies of BRCA2, for instance, or two copies of ATM, but you get one from mom and one from dad. If you inherit a mutation, basically you've inherited a healthy copy from one parent, but a broken copy from the other parent, and it could be from mom or dad. And that broken copy, unfortunately, means that your body's ability to fight cancer and to fight tumors is compromised. So over your lifetime, typically when you reach, you know, in your adult years, sometimes that second healthy copy gets damaged or compromised. And that's when our bodies can't fight cancer. Um, So, 
you know, you can be, we have people who are vegetarians and exercise every day. And unfortunately, they still face cancer diagnoses. Absolutely. that's just the way it goes. But it is helpful to know because if you have that knowledge, we believe at force that knowledge is power. And you can use that information to be proactive with your health. You can do things like increased screening for cancers. You can take something, uh, you know, medications that actually help reduce your risk of cancer. Um, and then, of course, there's also an option of risk-reducing surgeries. Um, and, you know, insurers are pretty good about covering most of this. Um, that's actually a big question and concern for people is how much is this going to cost me? Yeah. Um, And I will say, uh, first and foremost, under the Affordable Care Act, if you have a strong family history of um, cancer, genetic testing for BRCA mutations is supposed to be covered at 100% with no out-of-pocket cost for women who have a strong family history of cancers. So that's really important because right there, you know, cost is a non-issue if you have that, uh, you know, family history. the, the trick is, Can of I course, ask that, a real quick question. You said for women, correct, not covered for men, <laughs> unfortunately. So most insurers do cover it for men. However, it does under the Affordable Care Act. It is not required to be covered at a hundred percent. And this goes back to how the Affordable Care Act was set up. Um, it bases the coverage for preventive services on the recommendations of a group called the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force. And if that group recommends uh, a certain preventive service, such as mammograms or colonoscopies, then um, the Affordable Care Act is required to cover that based on certain criteria at 100%. Because the cancers associated with BRCA mutations, the most severe ones are typically breast and ovarian and the most common, the task force only approved testing for women or recommended it for women. That doesn't mean that men shouldn't get tested. It just means that the task force decided that the people who have um, the most need for testing, I suppose, are women. Now, we don't agree with that. I was going to say, I feel like (laughs) I just want to scream. Mutations on to their daughters and men are at risk of these cancers as well. So we fought those guidelines. We fought those recommendations. And unfortunately, that they stand as is for now. Um, But the majority of health insurance companies will test men who have a known mutation in the family or who have indicators um, that they should be tested, um, certain types of, you know, prostate cancer or strong family history or a known mutation in the family. Um, but there may be a small out-of-pocket cost with a copay or a deductible. Um, similarly, if you're tested for mutations beyond BRCA1 and BRCA2, as we've been talking about, that doesn't have to be covered at 100% right now because the task force recommendations focused on BRCA mutations. So if you have that broad panel, again, insurance will probably cover at least part of it, but you may have a copay or deductible. I will say you can get one of these broader panels now for as little as $249. Oh, that's nice. 
out-of-pocket costs. So it is not cost prohibitive anymore. And many of the labs doing testing have financial assistance programs. Um, There are numerous options. Force has information about this on our website where you can say, my insurance doesn't want to pay for this. And they will say, okay, your cost you know, we've promised our our customers that the cost is going to be no more than two hundred and fifty dollars. Um, and if you can't pay that, there are definitely programs that can provide testing for free. Um, so that's really helpful. And then, um, you know, once you are identified, of course, then the insurer recognizes that there are certain things like increased screening um, or surgeries that may be recommended. And we have um, solid information of medical necessity for those types of things. Good. Yeah. I mean, it's so as I've gone through this whole cancer journey, um, I've learned over the course of time that there are always subgroups that are kind of left out. Um, right. You know, and and you know, I don't, certainly don't want to assume intentions with that, but um, you know, it, I find it just really discouraging that there are these subgroups that are, you know, kind of left out. That it's not the popular, you know, it's not the popular group, or it's not the, um, you know, the one. Like it, it almost seems as if though there's a higher value placed on the people who are, you know, BRCA one, BRCA two, and women because that's who it's going to impact and breast and ov- you know, a variant. And I get that. But at the same time, there are still people who aren't going to be impacted by breast and ovarian cancer, that they're going to be impacted by something else. And maybe it's not a woman, maybe it's a man, you know, that they still should have those services. So I say that only to say that I thank you for your efforts in trying. (laughs) Um, And I will say that's a big part of our mission as an organization now. Um, So as I shared, when forced started, the focus was on information and support. But um, we now have expanded to also um, do uh, get involved in research and public policy work. And that's really my, um, my wheelhouse is public policy. So I'm in the DC area, I'm on Capitol Hill, I'm at the FDA, I'm working with the health insurance companies to try to make sure that people who are affected by these mutations, by, you know, just even if you don't have a known mutation, but you have a strong family history, that you can get access to the services that you need um, without breaking the bank. Yes. And it can be a challenge sometimes. Our health system is is problematic in a lot of ways. Um, but we try to work with members of our community and help ensure that they can get access to all of the recommended screenings and services that they need in order to stay healthy or to get healthy. Well, I'm glad. And I'm glad that you're the person because <laughs> I, I feel like they have the right person for the job. Um, well, you know, and I think that it's certainly important work. And I know that there are, you know, the voices are getting louder. I've, I've witnessed that over the course of time is that, you know, the voices um, to say that things are not right is getting louder. And, and I love um, that there are people out there that are advocating for the entire, um, you know, the whole rather than just kind of this, you know, one particular part of it. So I'm kind of thinking um, in terms of, so, you know, you add on a complication of potentially, you know, somebody's adopted. Mm -hmm. Do you have any 
anything to offer, you know, somebody who doesn't know their family history. Um, is there any, any suggestions, any like checklist or, you know, how to, I, I just keep thinking, you know, about those folks who just, they don't know. And so right. how do they know that they're at risk? You know, they don't. So uh, that's a great point. And actually that's coming up more and more these days. Um, believe it or not, some health insurers have now indicated that they will make exceptions for people who are adopted. You don't have to meet the strict criteria of family history. Um, you can you can qualify for uh, genetic testing um, with minimal um, requirements these days if you are adopted. Um, so some of the some companies are are absolutely adjusting their policies uh, to accommodate adoptees or people who have limited information about their family history. Um, you know, inherited genetic mutations are not uh, the majority. We would say, depending on the cancer, they make up about 10 to 15 percent, perhaps, of all cancers. Um, so, we don't want everybody to think that they need to run out and have genetic testing. However, um, if there are some red flags, you know, if you're a younger woman and, and have had to have biopsies, for instance, or have, you know, you know, cystic breasts or very dense breasts, or uh, if you're just diagnosed with atypical hyperplasia or um, which is, you know, sort of a precancer, um, that that can be a red flag. And, and even if you don't have uh, knowledge of a family history of disease, you may be able to get coverage for testing. Um, and we're finding more and more that a lot of people don't have a glaring family history who test positive, especially if the mutation is passed through the men, because a lot of men aren't getting breast cancer and they don't have ovaries right. um, and, and they may or may not get prostate cancer, um, which can be very treatable if it's caught early. So, um, you know, it can be masked through the men in the family. And so you may not see a strong history, but then all of a sudden there's a, a woman in the family and, and she's facing a situation where this information would be helpful to her. So, um, so I would say, you know, obviously we do look to family history as the first indicator, but if you're adopted or if you don't know much about your family history, it's worth having a conversation with your doctor. Um, and as I shared, there are some lower cost options for genetic testing these days. So if you don't qualify through your health insurer, there are still ways to access uh, testing and pay out of pocket just for peace of mind. Um, and that's what some people end up doing just because they have a gut feeling or they, they just want to know. I will caution people though, don't turn to something like um, an over-the-counter I guess I, I don't want to call anybody out, but 23andMe, <laughs> for instance. I know. Um, <laughs> the reason being, it's 23andMe, Ancestry, Heritage.com. These are all fun. Yeah, um, they're and fun. They're great ways to look at your genealogy and to look at, you know, where you might, your ancestors may have come from. They're not great for um, communicating useful medical grade information. So, for instance, 23andMe does test for three BRCA mutations. Three. Yes. <laughs> but that is three out of thousands of mutations. Well, I came so back negative majority. on 23andMe. I'm negative. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the vast majority of people um, are not going to test positive with a 23andMe test, even though they may carry a BRCA mutation. So you're, if you're going to test, let's do it right, folks. Yeah. Um, you know, so um, so I would say, you know, not 23andMe, but there are some other great options. Again, talk to your genetic, your well, ideally talk to your genetic counselor, but or or your doctor, and um, you know, you there definitely um, are places you can go to have reliable testing for a reasonable cost. Um, so just something to keep in mind uh, if it's if it's something you want to explore. Um, and, uh, you know, more and more people are recognizing that they have a family history um, and that this might make sense for them. Well, and I, you know, when you talked about it being masked by the men, um, you know, again, I don't have a really strong connection to the paternal side of my family. I, not as I got older. When I was younger, I did. So I, I know, you know, that side of my family and I had some connections. And it was many of the children were men. I believe there were only two or three girls um, in the family. And I think mm-hmm. two of the three, if not all three, um, had cancer. But not all of the men had cancer. And in fact, yeah. you know, my biological father does not as far as I'm aware, has not ever had cancer. So it, you know, it absolutely can be masked by, you know, the fact that these genes are associated mostly with breast and ovarian cancer, but it's not a high percentage of men who, you know, end up with breast cancer. Correct. I mean, if, if a man has colon cancer, for instance, and that's what you might see with certain mutations, um, even now, some doctors may not re- recommend genetic testing, but it's absolutely indicated in, in certain instances. But my family, uh, my background is similar to yours. It sounds like I have a BRCA1 mutation through my father and his generation was all men except for his one sister. Wow. And she got breast cancer in her late 40s um, and literally she was the only reason that our family much like you ended up getting you know she was tested because of her age and also because we do have a, a Jewish background but I want to caution that this is not these are not Jewish problems that the, there's actually more people who are not Jewish who have these mutations um, than people who are but um, but she was tested and as a result I was tested, my father was tested, and we now know that about eight family members have the mutation. Wow. Um, and it was passed down through the men. Yeah. Um, and my generation has a lot, pretty much all women. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. um, so it, it sort of uh, has, uh, you know, the coin is flipped, and unfortunately, most of us do have the mutation. So this is very useful information. Um, but um, yeah, it's it's interesting to, to look back. And, you know, some people still think, oh, I don't have to worry about inheriting female cancers from the male side of my family, or I don't have to worry about, and you know, passing on the risk of, quote, male cancers to my sons because I'm a woman. That's right. not the case at all. That's not how genetics works. Yes. So. Well, and I, you know, I'm so grateful for that. And I mean, I remember my, my, um, I went to the gynecologist when this all came up and it was a gynecologist that I didn't know. He just happened to be the only one in the office. And, you know, he looked at me and said, you know, you're too young and your grandmother who had ovarian cancer is too distant. 
And Mm-mm. I was like, oh, okay. You know, didn't think anything of it. And then, you know, it totally shifted. And he called me and he said, I am shocked. And I said, mm-hmm. welcome to the party. Yeah. <laughs> because I am too. I will, yeah, I will say that that, especially if, um, you know, the, the, history of cancers on your father's side, um, it's not impossible for that mutation to be passed through him to a, to his daughter, um, and for him not to have cancer. And so, and especially when it comes to ovarian cancer, ovarian cancer is pretty rare and up to a quarter of people who have ovarian cancer carry an inherited mutation. So national guidelines say any family with ovarian cancer, any woman with ovarian cancer qualifies for genetic testing. So it's certainly something to keep in mind. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's Um, great. And unfortunately, we do have some kind of old school, uneducated doctors who um, are still holding on to some old ideas. Um, and so I will say, if, if you're concerned and you have a doctor that doesn't take you seriously, get another opinion, yes. especially um, if you have the option to go to um, a, a cancer, a big cancer center instead of maybe a community setting where there's, you know, a high risk um clinic. Um, They're the ones who are really on top of the research who are most educated about this. Uh, The other thing is somebody might live in a part of the country where they don't have access to experts in this area. And they might say, oh, well, you know, my doctor doesn't know anything about this, so I can't really, you know, explore this. And, And actually what we have these days is we have genetic counselors who can do um, genetic counseling over the phone or by Skype or FaceTime. And so even if you live in rural Kentucky, you can have a virtual appointment with a genetic counselor and talk about your family history and they can tell you whether or not testing makes sense for you and they can actually get that test to you or to your doctor. Um, Testing is pretty easy these days. It used to be it had to be a blood draw which is still done part of the time, but now we can do it with a cheek swab or just a spit kit into a test tube. So um, it's much more accessible and uh, people who may live three hours from the closest cancer clinic, they don't have to drive three hours. They can actually get genetic counseling and get access to testing from the comfort of their home if, um, if that makes sense for them. I think that's great. I mean, I think it's always really important that we give access to everybody, you know, that everybody has access to the same things, you know, even if it's in a different format, you know, the the telepractice, that's fine. Um, But just making sure that everybody has access. Absolutely. So that's great. Um, so one of the things, um, you know, before, before we kind of wrap up the podcast is, your website um, or the force website has so much information on it. Um, And there is so much, you know, different things that you guys are doing outside of, you know, the things that we talked about. So I don't want to end the podcast without at least mentioning the fact that, you know, on the website, there are, you know, resources, you have a variety of different programs um, that are available to individuals that do have hereditary cancer. Um, Go ahead. 
Sorry, I, you dropped out for a moment. So oh, no. I missed part oh, of sorry. That. <laughs> That's okay. Um, so I was just saying that you have a variety of programs and resources that are available to individuals um, with hereditary cancers. So I certainly don't want to, you know, kind of leave the podcast without mentioning um, all of that stuff. And then you guys well, do an annual conference, right? Right. So let me just share a little bit about what we have. So first of all, our web address is www.facingourrisk.org. And on our website is um, an, you know, an incredible amount of information about hereditary cancers for men and women. Um and for multiple different types of hereditary cancers. We also have um, national guidelines on what to do if you have one of these mutations or how to find a genetic counselor. Um, so we also post information uh, about how to get support. We have an award-winning peer navigation program where you can be paired with somebody similar to you to help you um, understand uh, and to, to navigate the situation that you're in, depending if you have a diagnosis or not a diagnosis, whether you're a man or woman with or without a family, we have people of all ages and stages, um, and then information about laws. So really, uh, anything you would need to know about hereditary cancer for us has it on its website. So I really encourage everyone to visit there. Um, and as you mentioned, we do host an annual conference. It is the only conference of its kind, um, in the U.S. And, and really in the world. We usually bring in about 700 people um, from, from literally around the world. We bring in folks from other countries as well. Uh, and the world's top experts come in and we do two full days of sessions on hereditary cancers, ranging from breast and ovarian to prostate and pancreatic and colon and other types. Um, it also addresses the needs of people who have already had a diagnosis. So, you know, needs that survivors have, as well as what we call previvors. And those are people, uh, probably the most famous pre person is, is Angelina Jolie. Yes. Um, she's what we call a previvor or a pre-survivor because she has a mutation that causes increased risk of cancer, but she has not had cancer. And so we talk about, you know, what the options are for both survivors and previvors. And it's an incredible opportunity to learn and to bond with other people who are in similar situations. Um, this year's conference was scheduled for um, for June, yeah. unfortunately, because of the, the COVID-19 <sighs> outbreak, we've had to... Um, cancel that, but we're hoping to reschedule, but it is an annual event. And, um, we actually do record some of the sessions and they're available online on our website along with other webinars. So, um, you don't have to wait for the conference to get access to a lot of that information. Um, but things are always changing and we try to keep the community up to date on all of the latest research and all of the latest information about genetic mutations and familial cancers. Well, it is an extensive website with a lot of different information. Um, so I have, you know, no doubt that if any of our listeners are looking for some guidance, um, this is definitely the place to go um, to find that information. 
So I want to thank you so much for spending your time with me. Um, We've talked so much about so many different things, and I know that it's going to be really helpful for our listeners um, just to kind of gain a different understanding and really to kind of debunk some of the myths about, you know, the genetic um, mutations and that they only impact breast and and ovarian cancers. So, um, you know, again, thank you for sharing your knowledge and sharing your time with me. I appreciate it. Well, we appreciate you featuring information. It's so important for the community to know and um, giving us a platform to, to share with the community. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to this episode of Behind the Pink Ribbon. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. If you or anyone you know would be interested in sharing your story, please send an email to podcast at behindthepinkribbon.com. Thinking about advertising on this podcast? Our ads not only create awareness for your brand, but also contribute to the continued growth and support of this show. Email us today and be on our next episode. Email podcast at behindthepinkribbon.com for more information. You've been listening to Behind the Pink Ribbon, produced by American Creative Consulting, mixed and mastered at Riverview Podcasting Studios. For more information, please visit designbyacc.com.